Bibles to John chapter 15. Hope you had a great New Year's, great time with family or however you celebrate it. And for our family, we went to the woods for a few days and had a great time in the rain. So I got a woods joke for you this morning. Ready? So what's brown and sticky? A stick. Come on, that, that deserves a little laughter. I think that's pretty funny. Okay, John 15. John 15. We're just following along with the I Am statements of Jesus, and next week we'll be back into Isaiah some background to help you understand uh, what's, what's going on in the context here before we read the text. Jesus says in verse 5 that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, he it is that bears much fruit. And so if you're a believer, you're united to the vine. And according to this text, you are already clean because you're clean in God's sides because of your union with Christ, but then you're called to remain connected and to bear fruit, to commune with him, and through that communion to bear much fruit. And the scripture here says that those who don't are pruned away and so prove not to be his disciples. Now Jesus concludes this section by saying, I'm telling you all this so you can have my joy. In fact, he says, full joy. And then he tells you and how, how to have not just a, a happy life, but what he calls his full joy. In other words, Jesus' desire for you is not just salvation, but it, it's satisfaction, it's joy. At the heart of the Christian life and what it produces in the believer is to be real joy. And not just a little bit of joy, but what he calls full joy. So let's read the text. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we're going to pick up here in verse 8 and go to verse 12. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray for our time. Oh, Lord Jesus, we we praise you. And just like we just sang, unveil thy beauty, Lord. And I pray that right now, that we would see and unveil with eyes of faith, the beauty of Christ, who He is and what He's done for us. And that we as a church, through abiding, through remaining, through communing, through worshiping, would bear much fruit to Your glory. Father, let Your Holy Spirit work through Your Word now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I find that we we all desire to have consistent joy, don't we? in Christ and in our circumstances, right? And often we confuse the means of finding that joy. We end up pursuing joy's half-sister happiness. (laughs) We pursue happiness in our circumstances rather than seeking joy in Christ. There's a big difference here. Happiness is an emotion, It's usually based upon your circumstances. So when your circumstances change, like your job maybe, or or the weather, especially when you're deer hunting, or your boyfriend or girlfriend, or financial situation, you go from happy to sad. You lose that happiness. And so for many, they're constantly vacillating between the two. Happy to sad, depending on their circumstances. My friends, think about what makes you happy. Winning the Iron Bowl, right? watching my children sleep, going to a lake house, sitting on the pier, getting comments on Facebook, or someone asking you, hey, have you lost weight? Or maybe just listening to your pastor's sermons. Happiness is a good thing, but we must not confuse happiness with the biblical idea of Christian joy. Joy is entirely different. It's not primarily an emotion. It's an attitude and experience of the heart, not based on just getting something like a great present or losing something, like when your child doesn't make the cheerleading team. But it's based on our relationship with Christ and comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it lasts and endures regardless of situation. Now our hearts, your hearts are hungry and they're restless, and will have something to feed upon to satisfy it. And if you are enjoying nothing from God, the heart will hunt for something in the world and find it to satisfy it. But when the believer's heart is experiencing joy from the vine in our relationship with Christ, there is a constancy in our love of God and our neighbor Why? Because you never weary of what is satisfying you and giving you delight. People, I often find, and it's a struggle of our hearts, give their lusts and their passions full freedom, believing their joy will be found in satisfying all their appetites. Right? If I just had this, Gave myself this. 
So in a pursuit of greater satisfaction, our culture has taken down more and more moral barriers. And when they have it all and have it their way, what you find is more and more people full of emptiness, despair, and depression because sin promised what it could not deliver. I had a good friend who was a lawyer in Nashville, and he was telling me one of his clients years ago was Elvis. And he said, Rusty, when I was young, I was hotshot lawyer, and we were in Las Vegas, and I was up in the penthouse with Elvis, and you should have seen the party. Everything that you could imagine. The greatest food, drugs, beautiful women, amazing time. He said Elvis was standing in the corner looking out over Las Vegas, looking lost and full of despair. And he said, I happened to be close enough, and I heard him say in kind of a quiet voice, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. No, I'm just joking. That's not what he said. <laughs> I just want to make sure you're with me. <laughs> Here's what he said. He said, do you know what it's like to be able to look out over the city? you know what it's like to be able to look out and have anything that you want? Any car? Any building? Any woman? And then he said, I'm bored. It wasn't long after that that he overdosed. When appetite is the master and Christ is the slave to its desires, joy is promised, but it's never found. And happiness is fleeting. For the believer, it is just the opposite because you're joined to Christ. Christ is the master and appetite then the slave. And what you see is not an abandoning of pleasure, but a great exchange of pleasures. From seeking our greatest pleasure from people and stuff to experiencing joy through the power of the Holy Spirit in our relationship with Christ. You might say it like this, we've exchanged a far lesser pleasure that we receive from things of the world. They're not bad, there's nothing wrong with happiness there, but our greatest pursuit is a greater joy that we are promised in Christ. So John 15, Jesus tells us how to pursue full joy, His joy. And it is the result of glorifying God through bearing much fruit. So the main idea today is full joy. The kind of joy that you want is found in full pursuit of glorifying God and bearing much fruit. Full joy is found in full pursuit of glorifying God through bearing much fruit. Now, Jesus here paints a road to lead us to full joy, and it's a road of actions. So here's the first point. Bear much fruit, he says. Verse 8 in your Bibles with me, if you'll look there. Bear much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Stop there. Remember, the context is the vine dresser. Verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My Father is the vine dresser. And so he's saying the fruit of the branches of our life is to the glory of the vine dresser. The fruit that comes out of us is to the glory of your shepherd, of your vine dresser, of God. Our lives should be like a vineyard 
where the branches are full of grapes, full of fruits that show and reveal the greatness of God. So what comes out of our mouths, our hearts, our actions, should show the character of who our vine dresser is, of who God is. Okay, Rusty, what are the fruits that he wants from us, which glorified us? Well, they're fruits of the heart, aren't they? That you have received from the vine, that come from the vine to you, out. And he gives us several here. Verse 9, love, right? Verse 12, joy. Just before in chapter 14, verse 27, peace. Love, joy, peace. You've heard that before. It's the first three fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5. So what he's talking about is fruit of Christ's character comes by remaining in constant contact with Him. You might say they are the sap which flows from Christ to His people as we worship and commune. Now, notice His warning here. Look there in your Scriptures one more time. And we so prove to be My disciples. The grace of saving faith is always revealed in practice in how we live. The grace of saving faith is always revealed in a believer's life. We are alive to knowing God, and as part of His vineyard, He is working in our lives to bring about fruit. The difference between the believer and the non-believer is not just one acts different or one does religious things. It's a difference in nature. One is a branch of the vine and joined to Christ, and one is not. The reason the believer's life looks different with fruits of actions, of attitude, of language and thoughts is not from a strict set of laws that we follow or efforts to be good people. That's just the world's religion. It is because we are attached to Christ and God Himself now dwells in your life. And His presence has life-transforming effect upon you. And the more you worship and commune in your relationship with Him, the more sap or grace flows from the vine to the branches. So faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. It always produces the fruits of a new heart. And where there is no life change and new fruits, there is no saving faith and there has been no salvation or joining to Christ. It's a sign that the vine dresser is not working there. Now, let's move them from bearing much fruit to the second thing he talks about, remaining in his love. Verse 9. Look there in your Bibles with me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now the call here is to remain or abide in His love. But the first thing we need to understand is what it means that He loves us. The language that John uses here to describe love and in other places throughout love, or throughout John, is, is that of a marriage. Is, is that of you of the bride joined to Christ the groom. Let me, let me just explain. First, The Father chose you to be the bride of Christ. In Jewish culture, the father, the groom, always initiated. 
I don't know how well that would go down right now if I decided I was going to choose my children's spouses. But it did then. They chose a bride for the son. And they usually look for a good match. Money, beauty, hard worker, good family, etc. And the son, the good son, did the father's will. He trusted the father. Now listen to John 6.37. All that the father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, he used those words, that word given twice, two times. It's marriage language. The Father chose you as the bride to be part of the church, and he gave you to Christ to redeem Jesus, the good Son, came to do the Father's will, and He will redeem you. You will be His bride. Now, there's some steps along the way. And the second thing is, He paid the bride price for you, required by law, paid by the Father. And it reflects the value of the bride that was purchased for His Son with silver or gold or animals or other valuables. Listen to 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without blemish. 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are the Lord's. Do you see those two words? Bought, ransom by the Son. You see, there was a contract that was sealed with the cup of acceptance in the garden. Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me. It was the cup of acceptance, the cup of wrath, the bride price that He would pay to redeem His bride, the church, to Himself. And when Jesus drank the cup in the garden, He was saying, I will take all the judgment of my bride that you have chosen, the church, you and me. I will take all their debts and their sin upon me. I will be the groom, the redeemer. And I will redeem them, not with perishable things, but with my life as God for them. He paid the bride price. And lastly, He prepared a place for you. The husband then would go away and prepare a room for his bride after the contract was signed. He drank the cup. And usually it was in the father's house. He would build a room and extension there. And when the room was finished and the father decided the son would return then and only then when the father decided and he would take her to be his wife. Notice at the Passover feast... After Jesus says to his disciples, he's going away. Listen to what he says in John 14, verse 2 and 3. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, bride. You see that? Nobody sees it. Yes? Okay, I haven't explained this very well, apparently. 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. It's wedding language. The bridegroom, after engagement, would go and prepare a place in his father's house often. And then when the father decided, he would come for his wife. My friends, if you are a believer, Christ is your betrothed. You are bound to him. And when the father decides, the son will come again to not just judge all things, but it will be, according to Revelations, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, which is immeasurable love, so I have loved you. And his actions to redeem you as his bride show us part of the glory of his love. Now, the command to you is remain in his love. And I tell you everything that I just said so that you might know what it means to remain in his love and why he says that. Because he's the groom and he's gone away and you are the bride and you are called to be faithful as you wait for him. Two things. How do we remain in his love? First, you remain faithful. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and abide in him. You're called to faithful obedience to your groom. Why? Because he loves us with the greatest love possible. The same love that the Father has for him, he demonstrated it in the expense and the price that he paid to redeem you. And so every day, believer, we must wake and we must decide Will I love obediently my Savior, my betrothed, my husband today? You are betrothed to Christ. Second, prepare for His return. My friends, prepare your hearts with fruits that are beautiful in His eyes. The fruits of the Holy Spirit. How? By remaining in contact with the vine. Through prayer, reading the Word, fellowship with believers, the Lord's Supper. These are the things that cause us to bear much fruit and to remain in His love. Third thing. Third thing. Bear much fruit, remain in His love. Third and last, and we'll finish here, pursue full joy. Pursue full joy. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Everything he's teaching here. Jesus is the vine. Believer, you're the branches. The Father's the vine dresser. The purpose for him grafting you is to glorify the Father by remaining in the vine in his love faithful to him and when you do that you have heart fruit which shows not your greatness but the gardener's greatness and one of those heart fruits is joy and notice what he says that my joy may be in you listen my friends Jesus's desire for you as the groom is for you to experience his 
joy. Now, I want to read you a C.S. Lewis quote that you've probably all heard. This is what he says about our pursuit of joy. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. God's will is for you to have full joy, and that full joy is found in communion with Christ. But all enjoyment of God comes from some grace that He communicates to you, from Him to you. We must partake of something to really enjoy it. And as the branches with the Holy Spirit, you can and must fellowship and partake much of Christ. That is God's design in the Gospel. He receives the glory as the fountain of joy and as the vine dresser of your life. And you receive the pleasure and the joy and the full joy of having intimacy and closeness in worship and communion and relationship with the living God. Amen. Lord, I, we praise you. Lord, we praise you that you are not the Egyptians. You're not a hard taskmaster who sets us out to make bricks and calls us to pure obedience for obedience' sake. Lord, we love how Jesus says that they may have my joy. And the Son says my joy is to do my Father's will. God, there is the road of joy. And I pray that every believer in this room would see that they are wed, Lord. They are wed to Christ the groom. And we would do Your will as we wait and remain in Your love. And as we do that, so much fruit would come out of this church. And people in our community and our neighbors and those around us who don't know You would see the work of the vine dresser. They would see the glory of God and how we live and how we treat people. Oh God, use us as a church like that. Let us be a full vineyard on this hill in Dothan. We pray all this in the name of our Savior whom we deeply and eternally wait for. Amen.